Well, we're in the last part of this uh, message series called The Maze. Pull out your message outline. And um, what we've been doing over these, uh, well, over these last four or five weeks is we've been thinking about how do we, how do we navigate the maze of uncertain times? And uh, we've been looking at different aspects of that throughout the last few weeks. And we recognise that, that change is very much part of life. And um, we accept that. Whether we like it or not, change happens. But sometimes there are seasons where change just feels almost so rapid, so relentless, that we can feel overwhelmed, we can feel exhausted, not knowing what to do. And we, in our society, there is so many different changes. It almost seems from week after week after week, there's one thing goes this way and then that way. And there's all these different elements, different changes that come our direction. And that's just nationally, internationally we see that. But more so, when we bring it down to our own personal lives, sometimes we perhaps face, face changes that we weren't expecting, that we didn't want, that we don't like. And what we've been doing over these last four weeks is we've been looking at how do we endure the changes of life. That's how we began. We then talked about how to find the key to happiness, even in challenging times. And remember, we looked at Paul, who was in that prison, who was stuck in that jail, and he writes the book of Philippians, which is probably the most joyful book ever written. And yet he's stuck in that really difficult circumstances. Then we talked about how do we rely on God in the changes of life. And last week, I talked about how do we keep our soul full? How do we keep ourselves topped up so that we can actually keep ourselves spiritually and emotionally um, kind of full? And we talked about some of the ways in which we can do that. Now this week, as I wrap up this series, I want us to specifically look at how Jesus handled challenges that he faced in life. How did Jesus deal with the kind of things that came his way? How did he deal with things like stress and pressure? Now remember, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. That means on the humanity side of things, he understands everything that we go through. He experienced that. He experienced pressures and difficulties and challenges, probably more extreme than we ever will do. He never sinned, he never gave in to temptation, but he understands what we feel, he understands what we go through. And so one of the great things is is we can look at Jesus, we can look at his life, and the Gospels give us an overview of his life, and they tell us the things that he did. But we also get to read Jesus' words, what he himself said. And I want you to see this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' seven secrets of resilience. Now, you may never really have thought about this, perhaps, but the Bible says that we are to look to Jesus for our model for everything. He is our model in all aspects of life, but particularly, perhaps, if we're facing difficulties or change or pressures or tough times. We are to follow his example of resilience and endurance. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Here it is in the New Living Translation. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. Now he is seated in the place of highest honour beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured. That's what we're thinking about this morning, endurance. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. Now what does that passage tell us? 
Well, it tells us that nobody experienced greater challenges and stress and pressure than Jesus. He experienced enormous pressure. He was criticised constantly. He was misunderstood. There were constant demands on his life day after day after day. He had little privacy. And there were people who were basically constantly trying to kill him, weren't they? They were following him around and ultimately they led, it led to his death. So Jesus had a lot of pressure and stress and challenges in his life while he was here on this earth. And yet when you look at the life of Jesus and we look at his ministry, we see that he lived, well, with, with an amazing peacefulness. No matter how difficult the situation became, he modelled a calmness and a resilience in the face of outrageous demands. This is why the book of Hebrews advises us to keep our eyes, to fix our eyes on Christ, to keep our eyes, to keep our focus on Jesus. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at really some examples of endurance and we're going to learn from him. We're going to see what Jesus has to say through his very own words. And we can learn some of these, some of these secrets, really, some of these ways in which we can endure. Here's the first one on your outline. The first secret of endurance when you're under stress is this. Remember how much God loves you. That's the first antidote to stress and pressure. It's the first secret of endurance. It's the principle of compassion. Jesus had no doubt in his mind that God the Father loved him. He talks about it over and over and over again. For example, he says in John 10 verse 17, the Father loves me. And knowing and remembering that God loves you unconditionally and God loves you extravagantly and that God loves you continuously and he will never ever stop loving you, that is the foundation, that is the secret, that is the foundation to a resilient life. As Paul says in the book of Romans, if God is for us, who could be against us? We are resilient because we know that our God will never stop loving us. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, well, of course God loves Jesus. I mean, it's his son. Why would he not love Jesus? But did you know that Jesus said the same thing about you too? In John 15, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And I've talked to you many times about how much God loves you because it really is the basis of your personal security. If you're not convinced that God always loves you, that he loves you unconditionally, completely, instantly, continuously, that he never stops loving you, that you can't make him stop loving you, if you don't really have this foundation of God's unconditional love in your life, you will struggle in life. You will be easy prey for, for example, for the disapproval of other people. You're going to become a people pleaser. How much God, does God love you? When in 1 John 3 verse 1, he tells us how much. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Don't pass that by. We once were in rebellion against God. 
And then Christ broke into our lives and we saw our need of him and we realised that our sin had put Christ upon the cross. We realised that we needed forgiveness and we came to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We invited him into our lives and as this verse reminds us, we become a child of God. We are adopted into God's forever family. You are now a child of God. No longer in rebellion against God, now a child of God. That's how loved you are. That's how important that you are. And so the first key, the kind of the baseline to endurance in life is to realise and to understand that God will never stop loving you. Even when you mess up, even when you do things wrong, even when you kind of blow it, God still keeps loving you. Continuously, unconditionally. Jesus knew how much he was loved by the Father and you need to know it too. The second key that we see in the life of Jesus is this, remember who I am. In other words, remember who you are. Don't just remember that God loves you unconditionally, remember who you are. This is the principle of identification. Now why is that important? Well, it's important because if you're not sure who you really are, you're going to be manipulated and moulded by the pressures and the problems of and other people around you. When you have a confused identity, when you have an unclear identity, when you don't know who you really are, it makes you more prone to pressures and stress. Why? Because our culture, the world in which we live in, will want you to fit into its mould. And I think, those of us who are Christians, if we're seeking to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to experience more and more pressure as culture wants us to be and live a certain way. It wants you to be like this, and if you don't follow the cultural norms, then there's something wrong with you. And we face this pressure, we face it personally, we face it as a church, nationally in a sense of trying to seek to be Bible-believing church in this world and in this community and in this country. We're going to face these things because the world wants to mould us to culturally make us into something that we're not. And we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are in Christ. And until you settle this issue, God loves me unconditionally, and second, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. Then I'll be prone to that pressure and stress that will come in to make me conform. Now, we know that Jesus never had any doubts about his identity. He knew exactly who he was. In fact, 18 times in Scripture, he publicly defines himself. These are famous statements. They're called the I am statements of Jesus. In fact, I've listed a few of them on your outline. Mark 14, 62, John 6, 35, and so on. They're listed there and in many different places. Jesus says, I am. And then he fills it in. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. And over and over again, he defines himself. He knew exactly who he was. Now, why is this helpful? Why is this helpful to understand who we are? Well, in John 8, verse 18, Jesus says, I testify on my own behalf. In other words, he's saying, I don't need other people to tell me who I am. I know who I am. I don't depend on the opinions of others to validate myself. Now the question is, do, do, do you do that? See, if you depend on the opinions of others to validate yourself, you are going to be prone to pressure and stress and conforming. You'll start to live in a way in which is not the biblical way. 
If you don't do that, you will struggle. Because the fact is, if you don't know who you are, other people will decide it for you. They'll force you into a mould. They'll create stress. You'll end up pretending. You'll end up faking it. You'll end up wearing a mask. You'll end up trying to be someone that you're not. You'll try to be what everybody wants you to be and actually not what God wants you to be. And that will create stress. Stress happens when you try to be something you're not. And it doesn't matter whether you do it for the sake of your parents or your boss or your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. It doesn't matter who you're doing it for. You're going to be pressurised and you'll be stressed and you're not going to be resilient. Now you say, well, of course Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was a light of the world. He knew that. But did you know that Jesus said the same thing about you? He said, I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 13 and 16, Jesus said... You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Do you realise how special God says you are? There is nobody else in the world exactly like you. When God made you, he broke the mould afterwards. Just like God doesn't make two identical snowflakes, God doesn't make clones of people. Even identical twins are different in thousands of ways. There will never be in the history of humankind someone like you. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's not a bad thing, but (laughs) my point is this, you are unique. And you need to know that God loves you unconditionally and you need to know who you are. Now, this is the issue of identity. So many people are confused about their identity today. When you don't know your identity, it increases your stress. And it comes out in two different ways, incidentally. It comes out either comparing and copying. Comparing when you say, well, I'm going to compare myself to everybody else and see if I'm okay. And God says, don't do that. And copying others. You know, we all begin as originals, but we end up carbon copies of other people. God does not want copies of anybody. God does not want clones. That's why he only created one of you. God wants you to be you. God doesn't make mistakes. And remember, you are created in the image of God. Therefore, you are important and valuable. You see, when you get to heaven, God's not going to go, hey, listen, why weren't you more like Moses? Or why weren't you more like Paul? He won't ask you that at all. He'll ask you, why weren't you more like you? You see, you must become comfortable with, you, with who you are. You must accept your strengths, accept your limitations and your weaknesses and accept the truth about you also. Because when you do that, when you recognise who you are, like Jesus knew his identity, who he was, you'll find that you won't be pressurised into conforming into what the world expects or thinks you should be like. The third secret of endurance we learn from looking at Jesus is know who I'm trying to please. Know who I'm trying to please. That's really important as we think about the third area. If I know that God loves me and I know who I am, thirdly, know who I'm trying to please. In other words, know who you're living for. This is the principle of motivation. You need to know what is your deepest motivation because if you don't know that and if you've not figured that out yet, then you will be prone to pressure. In other words, what motivates you every day? You see, mixed emotions are the third great cause of stress. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13, no man can serve two masters. In other words, he's trying to please everybody. And the truth is, you can't. You know the kind of thing, don't you? You know, you get crowd A pleased, and crowd B gets annoyed at you. So then about the time you get crowd B happy, then crowd A is upset with you. Did you know that even God can't please everybody? 
Somebody's praying for it to rain and somebody's praying it to be sunny in the day. Well, someone's going to be fed up, aren't they? They're going to upset. Someone's praying for their team to win and the other person's praying for their team to win. It's not going to happen, is it? And as a pastor, I've learned that I'm always disappointing somebody. Not that I'm trying to do that purposely, incidentally, but I just know that's a reality. At times, I disappoint people because everybody has different expectations. The Bible says that the fear of man is a trap. It will capture you. It will cause you to stumble. And that's why Jesus says in John 5, verse 30, I am not trying to do what I want, look at this, but only what my Father who sent me wants. In other words, he knows exactly who he should be pleasing. Now, if you're not trying to please God in the way in which you live your life, in all likelihood, you're trying to please a whole bunch of other people. It's a whole lot easier to say, look, I'm just going to focus on pleasing God and let the chips fall where they may. Because if you please God, it will always be the right thing. If you don't please God and you're trying to please others, you will just get stressed because, because that person will want you to do certain things and, and then you'll struggle. Jesus was only trying to please his Father in heaven. He says in John 8, verse 29, I always do those things that are pleasing to him, speaking about his Father. If you're pleasing God, you're always going to be doing the right thing. Not that you please God to earn your salvation, because you can't. That's not what I'm saying. But I do mean that once you are a follower of Christ, you want to please God and honour him and live for him and please him only. And if you do that, listen, it just simplifies your life. Because I don't have to worry whether I'm pleasing everybody else or not. I'm just trying to please God. I live for his glory. I live for him. Jesus never let approval, or for that matter, rejection, control him. Remember, he was rejected by many. He had disapproval by so many different people. And yet he lived for an audience of one. He only focused on pleasing God. And this is what you need to do if you want to be resilient to stress and if you want to be resilient when you get knocked down. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians 1 verse 10, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm only trying to please God. If I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. One of the biggest myths that will make you miserable is this, I must be loved by everybody in order to be happy. That is just not true. You do not need other people's approval to be happy. So let me ask you, whose approval are you depending on for happiness? Who are you still trying to please? Maybe somebody you've been trying to please for years. Maybe an unpleasable parent who sadly has died now and you still think you have to please them. We love to blame other people for our stress and for our pressures and all those kinds of things. And yet the truth is nobody's holding a gun to your head as to how you feel. You're not a victim. You're free to choose to be who you want to be. Nobody can press you without your permission. And that's why Jesus is saying to us that the third secret of endurance is to know who you're trying to please. And as a Christian, ultimately, you should be living for the glory of God your Father. That's what Jesus did. Jesus says, I know who I'm trying to please. I'm only trying to please my Father. I'm not worried about anybody else. And that's why we look to him as our model. Falsely, the false secret of endurance is I know my calling. If you want to be resilient... If you want to deal with the pressures of life, you need to get alone with God until you know what your calling is. I must know exactly and believe exactly what God has called me to do with my life. This is the principle of vocation. And until you clarify this, until it becomes crystal clear in your mind, you're going to be prone to kind of being stressed out because you think you have to do everything. 
But when you know what God's called you to, and you know what God has not called you to, then you're actually following his plan for your life. In other words, when you're sure of your calling, you know what's your business, and you also know what's none of your business. And then it simplifies your life. And that's exactly what Jesus was like. Jesus knew exactly what he was called to do. He says in John 8 verse 14, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. He knew his calling, he knew his purpose in life. Now if you were to look up the word drive in the dictionary, it means to guide, to control or to direct. So when you drive a car, you guide, you control, direct it down the road. When you drive a nail with a hammer, you guide, control and direct the nail into the wood. When you drive a golf ball, hopefully you guide and control and guide it down the fairway. Every life is driven by something. Some people are driven by guilt, some people are driven by fear, some people are driven by the pressure of others. You will be guided by something in life, either by pressure or by purpose. That's why it's important to know your calling, to know your purpose. Now, I'm really excited about this. We're, um, throughout this year, hopefully, we're going to roll out a series of courses uh, called SALT, S-A-L-T, stands for Spirituality and Lifestyle Training. And there are a number of courses we're going to do. One is called uh, Maturity Matters, which helps you uh, grow as a Christian. How do you understand the mechanics to grow as a Christian? Something called Ministry Matters. How do you develop those gifts and abilities that God has given you so that you can use them to serve? And Mission Matters. How do we understand God's story and our story and the gospel and those kinds of things and how we share those stories? And the reason we want to do these things is to kind of help you to grow spiritually and to discover your calling and purpose in life, to know why you are here, to know what God would have you do. Because when you know that purpose, when you know what God wants you to do, then you know and you determine what's most important. What I'm saying is that the direction of your life is your choice. And by clarifying, you know what, God has shaped me in a certain way. He's made me like this. This is the kind of person I should be. This is what I should be doing. When you know that, it means that you lose the pressures of having to be something that you're not. Know what God calls you to do. And you can avoid the tyranny of the urgent. Do you know that kind of thing? What's most urgent is not necessarily what's most important. Until you clarify your calling, you will be controlled by other things. How many times have you learned that God loves you and everybody else has got a plan for your life? People do, don't they? And that's why James 1 verse 8 says this, a person who has doubts is thinking about two different things at the same time. They can't make up their mind about anything. And the Bible says that when you're wishy-washy and when your purpose isn't clear, when your calling isn't clear, then you're in trouble. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That calling ultimately is faith in Christ, but then from that, that calling is to live the kind of life that God wants you to be. And, and being called is not for just missionaries or pastors or church leaders. Every Christian has a calling. Some are called to be pharmacists, some to be called accountants, some are called to be school teachers, some to be taxi drivers. God places us in certain places in parts of this world and in jobs and vocations and all that kind of stuff. But every day, you need to ask, us, ask yourself, am I moving forward towards the purpose to the calling that God has on my life? And when you understand that, it removes the pressure. Number five, the fifth principle of endurance when we look at Jesus as our model, is this. Number five, focus on what matters most. This is the principle of concentration. 
What I mean by this is when you know where you're headed, when and your focus, then you're not distracted by less important things. See, it's a matter of priorities. What matters most in life and what you focus on those things. And do you know what I've discovered? That if Satan can't get you to do wrong, he'll just wear you out with too many good things. You can just get busy being busy, can't you? Do you know what I mean? See, there are a lot of good things that you shouldn't do. You might think, well, that's a bit, hang on. But it's true. There are a lot of good things that you shouldn't be doing. There are things you should be doing that are good things, but not everything. See, Jesus was a master of concentration, of focusing his life. He focused his life like a laser and he refused to be distracted. Let me show you some verses. Luke 9, 51. Here's an example of this principle. As the time drew near for his return to heaven, Jesus moved steadily onward towards Jerusalem. Notice this, with an iron will. What does that mean? It means he knew his purpose. He knew he had a goal. He knew what his goal was. He knew that he was to die in Jerusalem. He is on his way there. All of his life ministry, he was heading to Jerusalem. People tried to pull him away from that. People tried to stop him going that direction and pull him away from the thing that he knew he had to do. But he knew that's where he was heading for. That was his focus. That was his priority. He knew that one day he was going to die upon a cross. He was persistent with that call. He is focused. He knew his priority. Paul's the same. Paul says, this one thing I do. Paul didn't say these 40 things that I dabble in. He said, this is the one thing I do, which is to preach Christ. But what we do is we dabble in 40 different things. Good things. Instead, we should perhaps be focusing on a few things. The one thing that counts. Because if you want to have an impact, focus is the name of the game. You and I, each one of us, we have incredible spiritual potential. But the barrier is, is we've not really settled what's most important. You might think to yourself, well, um, you know, I've got so much going on in my life. I, I, I actually don't have time to serve God. Can I just say, I think you ought to rethink that one. Because now one day that you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, what did you do with your one and only life that I gave you? I had a great career, I had a great family, I did lots of really good things. I look at all the things and he'll say, yeah, but what did you do with that gift I gave you? Why did you not serve in that area? Why did you not do that thing that you clearly knew that I had my hand upon your life and challenged you about doing that? So often we get caught up in lots of good things and yet they're not the most important thing. Know your calling. Know what you're about. Know the things that you should and shouldn't be doing. That's what Paul was. That's what Jesus was. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke 9, verse 62. He says, Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I've planned for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. God has a plan and purpose for you, and when we get distracted from that, then there's issues. Do you know, the older I get the more I realise that, select, the, that selection is the name of the game. We have lots of opportunities. We have lots of options available to us. But the key is to know what we should be doing. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says this, We are free to do anything, but not all things are helpful or profitable or wholesome or constructive to your character and your spiritual life. What is Paul saying? He's saying this, Some things aren't necessarily wrong, they're just not necessary. One of the keys to endurance is to know your calling.
Number six, massively important, spend time alone with God. Now, if you don't get anything I say this morning, and if you haven't got anything I've said over the last four weeks throughout this sermon series, is this. Get this one. If you're a Christian, you must, you must spend time alone with God. This is the secret to endurance and stress resistance. It's the secret to life, basically, spending enough time alone with God. This is absolutely essential to building a resilient spirit, to live in the kind of life God wants you to live. It is the principle of meditation. Prayer, you see, is the great stress reliever. It's the decompression chamber. Among other things, it's, it's cathartic. It's one of the ways that we can unload our burdens on, upon the Lord. It says in Luke 22, verse 39, it was Jesus' habit to go out to the Mount of Olives to pray and his disciples followed him. Circle that word habit in that verse. How do you develop a habit? Habit is something you develop through practice and through character. It's not a habit unless you do it over and over and over. Notice it was his habit to go to the Mount of Olives. He would leave the city of Jerusalem, he'd go across the valley to the Mount of Olives and he would spend time alone with his father and he would pray there. And in Mark 1.35 we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Do you have any time in your life to do that? Because if you don't, you're already struggling. You're already on the back foot. You need quiet times. You need time to renew, to reflect, to recharge. And the way you do that is through the word of God and through prayer. I really want to challenge you on this principle of endurance. Quiet times are so, so important. Jesus was convinced of the fact that no matter how busy he was, he took time to get alone with God and pray. You read that time and time again through the Gospels. In Luke 5, 15 to 16, we have a really good example of it. It says, news about Jesus spread even more. So things are growing, his ministry is growing, it's more and more of an impact. Look, crowds came to hear him and to be healed. So he was kind of the biggest news, as it were. But look at this. But Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. Often means frequently. Now listen. If Jesus felt the need to frequently leave the crowd and get alone with God, how much more do you and I need to do that? It was the famous philosopher Pascal who said, most of man's problems come from our inability to sit still. And he's only echoing Proverbs 46, which says, be still and know that I am God. So some of us just need to sit down and shut up. And I say that nicely. Would you agree that noise is a stress? So let me give you a little suggestion. Start your morning with God instead of your phone, instead of the telly, instead of the radio, instead of checking emails or checking the news, all that. don't do any of that. Start your day in God's word. Do you know, I've had to intentionally do that. I'm terrible at those kinds of things. But now, actually, I can say that before I do anything, I get up as part of my morning routine and I will sit, I'll make my coffee and I'll sit in the same chair about the same time every day and I will have a quiet time before I do anything else. And I can tell you from experience, it is the best decision I've ever made. Trust me in this. It will make a difference to you. Set your mood with the good news. 
because there's so much bad news out there, isn't there? Colossians 2.7 says this, plant your roots in Christ. Isn't that a great version there? Plant your roots in Christ. Do that every morning and let him be the foundation of your life. That's the key. Plant your roots deep in Christ. Do that every single day. Number seven. One more secret of endurance that we learn from looking to Jesus as our model, and it's this. Join a small group for support. You see, the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry is he formed a small group. You see, he, you're, never in, you're not intended to do life on your own. You're not created to do life on your own. If I asked you to complete this sentence, if you want a job right done, you typically say, do it yourself, wouldn't you? Well, that motto is the motto of a perfectionist headed for burnout, isn't it? Because you can't do everything by yourself. You can't do every job by yourself. Now, if anybody had the right to say that, it was Jesus. He, even Jesus knew the power of having a group of people, a small group of people around him for support. In Mark 3, verse 14, it says this, Jesus chose 12, that was his kind of like his small group, designating them apostles that they might be with him. And you see that time and time again, that there was the 12 that was with him. Within that, there was another smaller group of sort of three or four that was with him. But he gathered these people around him, these guys around him, to support him when he needed. Now, if Jesus needed that kind of support, how much more do we? So much of our stress is self-imposed. We get uptight because we think that it all depends on us, that we should just kind of be the lone rangers in life. You know, I can do it, I can cope, because that's kind of what I've done all my life, some of us say. And yet, actually, we're not called to be the general manager of the universe. Even Jesus needed a small group. You remember that when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, in Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus said to him, that's his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's severe stress and pressure. He knew what was coming. He's about to die a horrible, bloody death upon a cross. And yet he calls them together and he meets with his father, he prays with his father, but he wants this group of guys with him. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Even Jesus needed people to pray with him. Even Jesus needed the support of a small group of people when he was in a crisis. Why don't we accept help from other people? There's a couple of reasons. Insecurity and pride. It's our own insecurity and our own pride that we don't accept help from others, so we just stay kind of pressurised or stressed out on our own. The fact is, there are people in this church family waiting to help you, waiting to support you, waiting to encourage you, waiting to assist you, if you will just be humble enough to ask. God very likely has placed brothers and sisters in your life who you know who would be willing to just support you if you just said, hey, I need some help. I'm struggling here. And the key secret is this, join a small group. Because if Jesus needed one, so do you. You see, the fact is, as we navigate this maze of life, as we've been talking about this the last few weeks, as we navigate this maze of life and the stresses and pressures of life, it isn't going to decrease in our culture. If anything, it's going to increase. So we need to listen to the words of Jesus and to take these intentional steps. It's not going to go away. Your life is not going to get less stressful by accident. It's only going to get less stressful, more manageable, when you have this greater resilience if you choose to do the things that Jesus models for us here. So let me come back to that reading that we had earlier on, right at the beginning, back in Hebrews 12. Listen again to these words in light of these seven things that I've given you as a model from Jesus. Here's what Hebrews says, Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by such a 
huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honour beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. You've heard that phrase, I'm sure, many times. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. You know when you see someone like that? We hear that phrase used when people are under intense stress and pressure. They have the weight of the world on their shoulders. But, you know, the truth is only one person in all of history has ever carried the full weight of the world on his shoulders. And that was Jesus. So as I finish, I need to mention one more stress reliever that Jesus didn't need because he was the son of God. What's the eighth stress reliever? You need a saviour. That's where it begins, you see. For more than the model of Jesus, you, you, you need a saviour. You need Jesus Christ himself in your life. You need his presence in your life. You need his power in your life. You need his pardon for your sins. You need the peace that comes from him. You need his salvation that he offers us. That's where it starts. That's where it begins, knowing Christ as our saviour and as our Lord. And we looked at these verses last week in Matthew 11, 28, 29. Jesus says to us, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what these verses are talking about primarily? They're talking about salvation. This is salvation. This is Jesus saying, come to me, I invite you. Come to me, give me your sins, I will take them, have taken them upon the cross and taken the penalty for your sin. Come to me. If you're weary with living a life without me in it, come to me and I will give you rest. Ultimate rest is salvation. But once we know Christ as our Lord and Saviour, it is then to come to him ongoingly, to recognise that we work in partnership with him, that he partners with us, that he walks with us day by day. If you're struggling, if you're stressed, if the pressure of life is grinding down on you, my first question is, where is Jesus in your life? Is he your Lord and Saviour first and foremost? And if he is, then are you yoked up to Jesus? As I said last week, are you allowing Jesus to guide you and to set the pace for you and to give him your burdens? Because that's what he wants to do. When I'm disconnected from Christ, then I struggle. But when I'm connected to him, when I'm giving him everything, then I don't need to be concerned because he carries the load. He walks with us. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is not only a model for dealing with the, the pressures and the stresses of life. We recognise that Jesus endured so many different things, more than we would ever, ever have to experience. But through his words and through his actions, we see what it is to have endurance. And so, Father, please help us to recognise that we need to trust him, to learn from him. 
But ultimately, Lord, we need Jesus as our saviour. And if we've never opened our life to Christ, then we simply need to invite him in. He says to us, come to me. Invite me in. Lord, we pray that you would give us peace in our hearts and also in our minds. Help us to open our lives to you, to recognise that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just to practise the model that Jesus gives us, but to have that relationship with him. Ultimately, it's about Christ in us, working through us, and being with us every moment of every single day. Thank you that we are, if we are followers of Christ, we are described as children of God, adopted into his family. And that began at the cross when Jesus died in our place and then rose again. Lord, we thank you. Help us, we praise, we deal with these things that we might endure, that we might be resilient like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In his name we pray. Amen.